This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, today we have a crew chat. I'm going to introduce you to another member of the Harvesting Nature team, and we've got a, a good amount of things to talk about tonight, uh, both that are going on in the kitchen and uh, in the world of wild fishing game. So, uh, first off, I guess, news for me since the last podcast you listened to, I'm trying to think of. So, I went, uh, did a bit of scouting here um, up in uh, northeastern Colorado, uh, checking out some antelope spots. So, for us, antelope archery season uh, for over-the-counter opens on August 15th uh, in most of the eastern side of Colorado, so east of I-25, and I'm planning to participate on that i've been working on my bow skills uh i've been uh trying to find places to go i went out and successfully located antelope on one of the 10 pieces of property that uh that i i located if you saw i posted a video of of a nice sized buck and a, a doe out in the field um on one of those areas and super stoked to just be able to drive out there i think i spent the day it was probably a six-hour loop between stopping at places and then uh, getting back on the road. I spent about six hours driving around, checking out each each spot, kind of uh, main, mainly checking access points because a lot of the places are closed until the season opens, which is good. So if you get there early, you get a first start. Um, but it's uh, it's neat to see the eastern plains of, of Colorado. So um, that's kind of what I was up to. I uh, I got a little string snap on my arm. Uh, from my bow, which left a nice little bruise. 
Uh, I don't know. I saw that. That looked uh, pretty rough. Yeah, look at it now. Ooh, it's still pretty bad. But uh, nonetheless, new bow, poor form, and uh, a rushed shot left me with that. But uh, been dealing with that. Um, not that particularly, but just the the bow shooting. So uh, took a took a one up on that today, and and went and sighted in my bow, and and spent about two hours shooting. So I'm pretty stoked for that. But uh, I think one thing that I'm really excited to plug outside of my own personal ventures is that uh, yesterday we launched the first ever, for us at least, wild fishing game uh, cooking class. And we titled that project the Harvesting Nature Supper Club. So essentially what the Supper Club is, is, is it's an opportunity for you as our listeners, as our followers, as our fans, whatever you want to call yourself, um, to join into one of these classes. The classes are like $20. They're limited to 20 people per class. And right now we've got five different uh, of our, our wild fishing game riders, uh, recipe content creators, chefs, cooks, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we're going to be teaching classes to include myself. I'm teaching the first one on the 14th of August, uh, which is going to be a venison steak marsala. Uh, really great recipe, awesome to make, super tasty. So if you... Uh, go over to, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but you can also do harvestingnature.com slash cooking classes, and that'll get you uh, directly access to our schedule. And we plan to do probably, I would say, five to ten classes per month. Uh, this first month of August, we're just doing five to kind of test the water. But we're going to branch out uh, from recipes. We're going to do some butchering stuff. We're going to do some food processing, some uh, canning, some curing. Uh, we, we really got some big plans for this, and I'm, I'm super, super excited, especially as we roll into hunting season and, you know, the may or may not have the ability to have, like, a whole quarter of a deer breakdown, uh, just different things like that. So we'll, we'll work on planning those things out and see how it goes. But uh, I'm also stoked about the logo. What did, what did you guys think about the logo? I like it. It's a cool, it's a cool retro look. Yeah. Can you can you give us a give us a brief overview of what it looks like if you have it on the top of your head? Yeah, it's like a like an old school like neon sign like you'd see like over the doorway of like a street side restaurant. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like a neon sign. It says "Harvesting Nature" up and down vertically, and then "Supper Club" along the bottom, and then it's got a what I a, what was it a Deer? It's an elk. It's an elk. Yeah. Cowboy. Elk, elk deer. Or, uh, an antlered animal. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a bit of contention on that one. Uh, the kind of like bucking up and what's that, Corey? A little bit of contention on that one, on the antlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Um, In the developmental phase, it was a toss-up. but uh, so Definitely not a moose, I'll say that. No. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of like bucking up and looks like it's about to get off into a sprint it's a, it's a cool logo yep and it's got a cowboy on the back of it uh swinging a frying pan in the air that's right yeah, yeah. it's got the cowboy with the frying pan um so yeah, um, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna print it for shirts and stickers people have already been asking um but I'm, I'm waiting for the proofs to come in and as soon as the proofs come in and I prove, uh, then we're, we're going to roll out with production on those. So those will be pretty excited. And then there'll be the ability to uh, do a combination, so a package deal. You can sign up for a cooking class and then get a discount on a T-shirt. 
Um, so that'll be pretty neat too. Um, we also, the, over on that, the, the website that we use to host the class, I posted our, uh, cookbook, um, eat wild game. So, uh, if you go over to the same page where we host that, uh, we have eat wild game. The thing that's different is on our website, you can get a physical copy, either a hardback or a softback or paperback, whatever you want to call it, uh, on the cooking class website, you can get the e-cook book. You ever heard that term before, Corey? E-cook book? E-cook book, yep. Yeah. I Googled it when I was putting it together, and I was like, e-cook book. It sounds neat, but I don't know if it's a real word. But it is tonight. We're publishing it live. So anyway, um, yeah, go check that out, the cooking class. Pretty stoked about that. Um, also, too, if you're interested, you can always buy us coffee. Those links are down in the show notes. Uh, three, four, five bucks, whatever you want to pay for a cup of coffee helps us fuel our adventures both in the office and uh, out on the open plains of eastern Colorado. So I will go to you, Colin. Uh, what updates you got? I actually have a few. Uh, bear season started here just a few days ago started back up so i'll be looking to uh, combine a little bit of bear hunting with my uh, deer season scouting up here so i have a i have a deer tag for the county that i live in and uh there are a few bears around occasionally i guess they wander into town um so i know they're around somewhere so you're going to be hunting in town i just picture i picture you scouting from your front porch with binoculars (laughs) going behind the uh main street market and uh, you'll see me back there in camo. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking to combine a couple things there, get some deer season or deer scouting in along with bear. Yeah, that should be a good time. If not, I'm, I'm going to end up going down to meet up with Ben sometime in September uh, and help him out with either taking an elk out that he gets for archery season or going for bear again down there. Nice. Finally, was successful in my Nutria endeavor. Uh, if people saw it that the other day, on Instagram and our other social media handles, uh, capped a Nutria at about 80 yards. I was pretty proud of it. It was right in the water. I shot it within the, uh, the first 10 minutes. So I walked, me and my, my buddy from work uh, walked in. It took us about 10 minutes to walk in. It's on a, it's on a local farm here. And uh, immediately saw it, took the shot, and it took, about, it took us about two hours to get it out because it was in the worst possible place in the, in the slough that it was in. Yeah, and it's, it has all this like grass around, so any kind of current, wind current or whatever, wouldn't take the it wouldn't take the carcass anywhere. So we were trying to like toss a rope over to it, toss a stick over to it, trying to find like alternate ways around to get to it. it wasn't working. We ended up sending one person over to the other side, and one person staying on the same side, using the rope and kind of like drag knitting it out, and uh, ended up getting it out. But I was pretty proud uh, to finally. That's my my third one, but uh, first one since I've really been announcing that I'm. And uh, do you, do you have do you have culinary plans for for this said nutria? We we had talked about it a little bit offline, um, mostly around the the clever names we can come up with it <laughs> for it. But um, I think I'm going to go with some kind of like Cajun stew with it, or some kind of Cajun recipe. Uh, for those that don't know, nutria are introduced. Uh, relative of the capybara so they were brought to north america to supplement the fur trade in the late 1800s early 1900s and then they were they're originally meant to replace muskrats 
And then when the fur trade began to fall apart in the 1940s, a lot of farmers just kind of let them go. And that's why they're invasive. And they're in, they're all over the South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, and then they're in this really tiny pocket of Northwest Oregon where I am. Um, so I'm fortunate, unfortunately, to have <laughs> them up where I am. But uh, yeah, try and take care of them. Anyway, back to the Cajun part. That's why there's a lot of, there's a lot of Cajun influence with Nutria it's because they're heavily harvested down in the south. What was one uh, of, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. What was one of the names we were talking about? Uh, uh, noodles and Nutria. Noodles and Nutria. Yeah, that was and, my And uh, that was my favorite. Nachos a la Nutria was another one that I came <laughs> up with. Uh, they're they're so, bigger than I thought with, they you know, were. Do some of them with alliteration. We'll see what comes up. Yeah, they're pretty good size. Yeah, about size of a beaver, right? It's a little bit smaller than a beaver. It's right in between a muskrat and a beaver. So there's each one of the, all three of those look pretty similar. And the way to tell them apart is by the tail. So beavers obviously have the big flat paddle tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, muskrats also have a flat tail, but it's thin and it's kind of like a, think about like a large blade of grass, um, like a foot or two foot long blade of grass. So it's long and thin, but it's flat. And then Nutria is like a rat tail where it's round. Uh, and then the size, of course. So Nutria right in the middle. So, you know, I, I wonder if, if you think back to the, the episode with uh, Wade and Rachel where we were talking about wild game fast. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, beaver meat. And they were mm-hmm. they were curing and smoking beaver hams and all kinds of things like that. I wonder if, uh, yeah. if you could do a, a smoke, a slow smoke on a, a Nutria ham. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely on the list for the future absolutely planning on going out to get more um i don't know if it's the same type of meat as a beaver it's a little lighter in color it's not quite as red as beaver mm-hmm. meat as the beaver meat that i've seen um so i don't know if, if the taste would come out any different um, someone told me on go wild that it makes great jerky yeah i saw which that is, uh, <laughs> which is uh interesting to it seems like a lot of cutting uh little small pieces yeah, I think I'd be feel more comfortable throwing it in the slow cooker and killing off any kind of weird diseases or parasites that might be in it uh, for the first time around, at least. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was the it was the Nutria. Uh, I've spent a few days this past weekend helping out a local farm uh, pick up hay, put it on a trailer, and then load it into their barn. And that's the same farm that I go goose hunting on. So people looking to get permissions in places sometimes it just takes a little bit of manual labor to get in someone's good favor and uh he said i can we can go out there and do something whenever we want and come out there for nutria whenever i want uh he even offered up a, a, a few legs of lamb off the lambs that he's going to butcher this fall so uh, oh, that's a sweet pretty, deal pretty happy about that and it's a good workout uh if you haven't if you're not familiar i got some colorado tags justin you know this yep so got a, an elk and a deer tag uh the elk tag is actually a pretty long one it's an either sex it goes from was it september no october uh i think it goes september so elk season opens the first of september uh yeah. and it goes all the way through um january 31st january 31st but it's so the, the big the big difference is it's probably one of the most challenging elk tags out there uh right. because it's for the eastern plains so um, yep. and there's not a high population and a lot of the Eastern Plains in Colorado is private land. So, yep. uh, 
Colin and I may be setting off on a couple of boondoggles in order to try to fill uh, fill this. Yeah. I have one too. But luckily I have a deer tag um, for early November out there as well now. So we'll be taking another trip to Colorado and uh, hopefully double up on some deer and elk. Yeah, it would be great. Uh, Ideal. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'd like to put a plug out there for user-submitted photos. We've been having a couple posts lately about uh, with user-submitted photos. Um, by all means, please send them in. Send them to community at harvestingnature.com. We'll, we'll post them up with your tag if, if you'd like us to tag you in them. And uh, with a little backstory as well. Wildlife photos are, are really great. It's really great to see what other people are seeing around the country and around the world. And uh, we want to share that with you. I, I like the one today. It was the the elk swimming across the river. Yeah. Actually, um, that was one of my coworkers. So they were out doing a law enforcement mission. And as they were pulling back in, they just they were like, what is that in the water? And, uh, yeah, there's an elk swimming across the river. That's pretty so, cool. I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, mean, I posted a video a little while ago of a raccoon swimming. And uh, someone was like, yeah, you'd be surprised about how many animals can swim like that. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, horses are pretty good swimmers. So Pigs. Pigs are good swimmers, too. Four-legged, Allegedly. Yeah, four-legged animals are good. <laughs> and then, uh, finally, our Facebook community page. Always keep checking out our Facebook community page. Join it. We've got a lot of good recipes going on in there and uh, a lot of really good content, good conversation. And join us in there, too. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think that was the uh, the longest series of updates I've had yet. Yeah, I know we've we've been kind of intermittent with our updates, so but uh, they'll yep. start coming more frequently, and I'm excited because I think as hunting season rolls around, they'll be more intense, uh, maybe literally oh, yeah. and phys- uh, metaphorically intense. You mean like intense? Yeah, like <laughs> T E N T S. Yes, okay. but Good um, one, Justin, yeah, it's great. All right, Corey, <laughs> what do you got? Well, it's. Um starting to get into scouting for for archery season here in northwestern Pennsylvania so I was just I was in the woods this afternoon checking out some places and trying to set some stands and get ready and shooting my bow some I got new arrows from Allen Company I got their new razor arrows and they're I think they're a bit better than what I was shooting before I feel like I'm more consistent with them which gives you know it's nice confidence. So those are those are carbon carbon fiber arrows, right? Correct. Nice. I uh, still sighting in out out a little at the farther yardages, forty and fifty, but I don't typically shoot anything in the woods that far. But the the farther you practice, the more the better you are at the closer ranges. So the more arrows you lose. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that maybe that's just me. <laughs> I lost uh I lost I lost three arrows today. I found one like probably seventy yards away from where I was shooting <laughs> and then I broke two. And then I shot one into the wood post that was holding the target I was shooting at. So it was a rough start to my day. Sounds like yeah, you, you need to practice some there, Justin. Well, no, I got better. I, I sighted in my bow, only to later learn that I probably need to do it again because <laughs> uh, my peep sight uh, broke. But <laughs> That'll do it. It's like rough going with archery right now for me. 
Um, but we're going to get there. Yeah, I, I got drawn for both of my uh, doe tags here in PA. And then I have a couple special DMAP permits. And then my buck tag so I can shoot six deer here in Pennsylvania. And then I'm still waiting on the elk. Elk draw, PA elk. Which is pretty rare to draw. Oh, when is the entry for that? You missed it. If yeah, it was I think the either the last day of July or the first day of August. No. Oh well, maybe next year. But I don't hold my breath for that one. It's pretty rare to get get drawn. But yeah, haven't been doing much fishing. It's been like constant rain, so the the river's high and muddy. So I can't do any of that. But yeah, that's about. That's about it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, with us today, too, we have uh, one of our field staff writers, uh, Kayla Bendels, here with us. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, Kayla. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the show. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, It's pretty common. Corey gets mad at me all the time for doing it, but I, I still do it anyway. Um, so what what uh what's going on in your part of the world? I guess first, what what is your part of the world, and and second, what have you been up to in in the outdoor area? Yeah, so I am originally from just outside of the Twin Cities of Minnesota, but I now call Bismarck, North Dakota, home. Um, so different world than all of you guys, I guess. Yeah. Um, Hit the fishing pretty hard earlier in the summer, but um, just been busy with, just got back from working our state fair. I work for our game and fish department, um, so we have a little exhibit up there, a um, couple of weddings and stuff, but um, been doing, <laughs> unexpectedly, this is what my next story is about, but been doing some cat fishing, which I didn't foresee doing this summer, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, actually just made some of it for dinner tonight, but... Ooh, what'd you make? Just I just fried it. Ooh, Nothing crazy. Um, with some sweet corn. But Man, I love fried catfish. Yeah, I haven't eaten catfish before, but it was delicious. And we caught a whole bunch of them two weekends ago. So um, underrated, but it was fun. And they're they're good. Otherwise, um, uh, yeah, I guess our lottery systems work a little bit differently. But drew a whitetail buck tag here uh, with a rifle, and I have never shot a buck. Um, shot my first rifle deer last year, which was a mule deer doe. Um, so hoping to get some antlers for the first time. Um, our bow tags are over the counter, so I'll have that. Um, also headed to Colorado elk hunting, but with a rifle. Uh, oh, nice. When are you coming out? My tag's October 16th through the 20th. Um, haven't planned much beyond that, other than I'm sure we'll try to get there before the season actually starts, but. Sure. Well, let, let me know when you're coming this way. You guys are stop by, have dinner or something. Yeah, it's actually a, a gal group. Three, uh, my cousin and a friend of mine, but three girls 
headed there elk hunting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stop on by. Everybody's here. Otherwise, um, getting anxious here for bird season. I've got a bird dog, so ready to, in a couple, in like a week or so here, we can start running them on um, public land again just because of the nesting season. So excited to get him back out. And then it'll be dove season, duck season, sharp tail season, um, all the things. So, yeah. Wow. What kind of dog do you have? I have a poodle pointer. Poodle pointer? Mm-hmm. Which I wish I had a better na- they had a better name for the breed because I feel like it gets lumped in with all the new like poodle crosses, uh, which yeah. it is not. It is a its own breed. My, my but... friend also has a poodle huh. pointer. Yeah. Then. Yeah, really cool dog. Super versatile. Uh, he kind of does it all. How's the uh, uh, temperament? Are they pretty relaxed? Are they high strung like a lot of other bird dogs? Yeah, so um, a pointing dog, so they, I would say they're like less high strung than like a Visla or a, like a German shorthair. Um, okay. But he definitely has, um, I grew up with having one lab and my husband had a bunch of labs and they, he definitely has more energy than like a lab. <laughs> so kind of okay. in between, um, yeah. but a pretty mellow for like those point, high strung pointing breeds, I feel like. Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty good off switch. Nice. I don't. Yeah. I don't think my friend's dog has has found that off switch yet. She's go go go. <laughs> yeah, we're on year four, and it's just it's just starting to settle in. But certainly, like, there's no off switch when you're outside in the field. It's just in the house. He's finally settled down. That's good. I have that same problem with my one year old. He he's he's everywhere into all the cabinets, all that. Not dog, human, but uh. um well since we're into that uh i do have a quick article i want to oh i want to pitch out one other piece of news i forgot to mention so if anyone is going to be in the greater denver area uh on august 20th i'm hosting a uh pint night with the backcountry hunters and anglers at a place called the dive in that's i-n-n it's 6 p.m on the 20th so I'm uh, going to be there hanging out with everybody, chat, chatting about all the great things BHA is doing, uh, probably telling some cool stories, obviously talking about food and uh, having a few cold, frosty beverages. Uh, planning to do more events with BHA uh, as my time here in Colorado continues. So, uh, But this is the, the first one, so I'm excited for that. So coming up uh, here in about two weeks. And then... I want to reference, so we uh, we put out an article uh, back, what was it, last week, Colin? Yeah, I think it was last week. There you go. Uh, yeah, on the, yeah the, on the 22nd. Yep, so the headline, feral pigs release the same amount of CO2 as 1 million cars. I don't know. I read the headline and started doing a bit of research. So there was a study that was published, uh, I believe, in Australia. Um, it, they did uh, a lot of research but the around the world, but their specific uh, calculations and all their all the people, I think, that authored the paper were from Australia, uh, I want to say. But I, I thought it was really cool because uh, prior to reading that, we'd had the conversations with uh, uh, Robbie Sansom from Force of Nature Meats, and we talked a lot about regenerative agriculture, and, and we really dove into the principles behind regenerative agriculture. And one of those is like um, uh, the minimized soil disturbance. 
And so that's where you look at like plowing and tillage dramatically erode the soil and release large amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Well, for you pig hunters out there, uh, what is one thing that uh, wild pigs do consistently and in large areas? Colin? Uh, dig up the earth. Yep. Which, if you look at that, if you take that same thought and you apply it to the, the lesson that we learned from Robbie, that uh, they're basically plowing and tilling the soil. So with that, they're releasing tons of... Uh, or creating a process which releases, they themselves aren't exactly releasing it, but they're uh, facilitating the process that releases uh, carbon dioxide into the air. So they looked at the entire population of the pig, of wild pigs, and uh, they did a bunch of simulations uh, and population sizes in their non-native distribution areas. So that's Americas, Oceania, Africa, and parts of Southeast Asia. And um, they basically said that they estimated the amount of worldwide pig rooting to be between 13,000 and 47,000 square miles, which is insane. So uh, the size of Lake Michigan uh, or the state of Maryland, and that's every year, which that's a lot of pigs. And this is very uh, analytical as you look at the the waxing and waning of the the pig population but i don't know it's just something pretty pretty wild and crazy when you think about it um so then when you take that type of soil disturbance and you link it, it you look at it from like a carbon pollution standpoint of like uh of tillage and all that then it, it it equates like one million cars on the road like driving around every year all year so i don't know what do you guys think about that yeah i mean I would have to take the scientists' word for it and stuff. I'm not going to go out there and measure carbon and stuff. But I think it's interesting. I think it definitely makes sense. All the more all the more reason to kill more pigs. <laughs> okay. Corey? Shoot them and eat them. Yeah. I think that was that was somebody's comment on uh, – yeah, somebody's comment on Instagram was like, uh, the more, more reason to eat them, uh, which is great. Um – yeah, so that, that that just stuck my mind. I wanted to bring it up in a little more detail. So I don't know that, that we will see an end to the, the rise in the wild pig population as it sort of uh, their versatility helps them spread across North America. But uh, I would hope in some places that they remain uh, wild pigless, although people – Certain hunters out there will contest that and say that they would love to have wild pigs in their area so they can hunt them despite the environmental damage that they do, which is interesting. At what point does uh, does an invasive species gain that, like, trophy status where you're, like, looking at it from a standpoint of, like, oh, this, uh, you know, this we, we want this animal here. We don't want to completely get rid of it because of it's got some other benefits too. So We talked about that with Jesse Griffiths. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's such a great food source, but at the same time, it's so damaging. So it's like, at what, mm-hmm. at what point are people going to start being upset that there's no more, there aren't any more pigs to shoot, or any more nutrient to shoot, or whatever invasive species of choice that you have? Uh, at what point are you going to be upset that there aren't any more? But that's kind of the goal, is to get rid of them. So it's a, yeah. it's a conundrum. Conundrum. But, uh... All right. Well, let's uh, let's chat a little bit about uh, 
about some some hunting and fishing and and some food here. We'll shift gears off of the updates and the articles. Um, so, Kayla, why don't you, if if you could, enlighten us a little bit uh, how you got into hunting and fishing and and um, and how you found your way into it. For sure. So, um, in many ways, I guess, basically just a traditional pathway person, as we often call it. Um, two older brothers. Uh, my parents were divorced, so a lot of time spent with dad um, was a lot of fishing and then a little bit of hunting. Um, and my mom fishes quite a bit too. And so, just lots of family vacations uh, up north. That's just like generically, anytime you go north of the cities in Minnesota, you call it up north. And yeah, just lots of time in the boat. Uh, we always had a fall break in October of school and always went ruffed grouse hunting. Um, so that was kind of my only introduction to hunting at the time. Um, like growing up, I just, I remember being pretty interested in deer hunting, but my dad and brother would go and they would camp in November in Minnesota. <laughs> and it just didn't sound all that appealing to a teenage girl um, who wasn't quite like hooked on hunting yet. So just like that physical misery without any real connection to hunting yet um just didn't sound that appealing um but i remember always like calling and checking in and also just didn't have a lot of exposure to firearms i mean with the grouse hunting it's like my dad would just hand me a shotgun and say we're going grouse hunting and i go for the five days of the year and then that was it so i was definitely a little bit afraid of of the rifle and just like didn't have a lot of experience with firearms um but later on in high school my dad and brother found this really cool program where they got access to archery hunt private land, um, but you had to like apply and show that you had done like conservation volunteer work throughout the year in order to to get in. And Mm then a mentor had to be along with a mentee. So it was mostly like parents and kids, but like my dad couldn't go out hunting if he didn't have a a kid with him and and vice versa. Um, But you got access to this private land archery hunt. um, And yeah, the bow just sold me. I think it's just less intimidating. And I find that with a lot of other women too. It just was an easier start into it. Um, obviously nicer weather, um, hunting in September and October instead of the negative temps that uh, Minnesota Novembers can bring. <laughs> so started to get into that. Um, but still just growing up in the Twin Cities, like there weren't many peers that hunted and fished and certainly not female peers. And I played soccer and did a lot of other things. Um, so while I had that exposure and, and was definitely hooked on fishing, it, it wasn't like a, a lifestyle yet, um, but very much love the outdoors. So I went to school for wildlife biology in Northwest Minnesota and Crookston. And finally, like obviously kids that go to the middle of nowhere in Minnesota to manage in wildlife biology are mostly uh, hunters and anglers. So finally got to connected to some other people that were passionate about this. And, you know, growing up, you're kind of only exposed to what you're around and your immediate family and friends, but um, Mm -hmm. just started learning about all the diverse types of hunting and fishing that were out there and and getting to know people that did it. So got introduced to waterfowl hunting. was still pretty, I played soccer in college, so I was still pretty busy in the fall. I do kind of regret that I just missed out on some, like, college was the prime time to hunt and skip class. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was pretty busy with soccer, but, um, like, my dad would come up and help me hang stands, so that was my first, um, I would go out deer hunting by myself to my stand for the first time in my life at that point, um, and I remember telling like my soccer roommates, like, you guys should probably know where my deer stand is, just so, like, if I don't come back one day, uh, just driving out to the middle of nowhere by myself. Um, but yeah, just kind of slowly started to build on it more. Um, 
shortly after graduating, went to graduate school in Fargo, North Dakota, um, continuing down wildlife biology. And um, but it, I feel like this there's this big like transition. Um, my first real job, I guess, was with Pheasants Forever in Bismarck. Um, that's what made me move out here and was getting to do like conservation outreach, um, holding outreach events for landowners, as well as uh, my first introduction to kind of R3 or hunter recruitment, retention and reactivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of this really cool outreach position in Bismarck and um, my life's kind of never been the same since, I guess. Uh, <laughs> decided if I was working for Pheasants Forever, I needed to have a bird dog. Um, so got my poodle pointer, Finley. Um, worked on training him myself. I mean, lots of input and help from others, but um, did all of that myself and uh, was just all of a sudden immersed in this culture, like finally connected to other people that do all these things. And I'm really competitive. So it was just like, if all these other people can do this, I can do this too. And um, North Dakota is a bit of a hidden gem, I think. I can drive, I mean, I deer hunt, pheasant hunt, duck hunt, like within 30 minutes of my house all the time. And so now it became more than just like, a couple trips throughout the year or weekend stuff it was like last year I could I hunted like four or five days a week because you can go quickly after work or take a half day or whatever it might be um, and so yeah I just started to get more independent and um, just more addicted to everything I tried like since moving here I've shot my first doves first sharp tail first rifle deer as I said um, first turkeys first of many waterfowl species um, and just yeah, uh, there's just so much to love and I can't pick one thing. Um, so it keeps me busy, but I feel like in that way, sometimes I consider myself an adult onset and just that I didn't have exposure to all these different types of hunting and fishing, um, until I moved out here. And, um, also just like becoming an adult, I guess, and being more independent versus just tagging along with dad and brother. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of being a part of the decision-making, deciding where, I mean, going by myself a lot. So, um, so which 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 type of hunting is at the top of your list? I don't know. I think that the dog has really grown on me, and like mm-hmm. I find myself spending. I'm really excited for our sharp tail grouse opener, so I find that pulling a little bit away from the archery hunting stuff. Um, also, just because <laughs> I'm like you, such a struggle with uh, bow hunting, but um, I don't know. I I don't think I could specialize in one thing. I guess um, every time I every time I think like. Duck hunting's getting harder here. It's just harder to find access, and I always it always kind of sits back further. And then I go duck hunting. And I'm like, just kidding. I can't give it up. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, uh, you know, the upland game hunting with a dog. I, I don't think I, I've never I've never done it uh, with a dog. So uh, that's pretty pretty unique. Um, I, it seems much more engaging though, because there's always like something going on, as it seems to me. Uh, Yeah, it's just the connection there between, like, you and dog and bird is, like, I don't know how many times I just, like, sit there after a successful shot and just am, like, amazed. It's, like, it's happened how many times, but it's still just so incredible. And I also, like, still from my soccer days, I'm pretty into, like, fitness and stuff, so I like just, like, endlessly walking around. (laughs) Yep, I I can relate to that, as can, uh, I don't know if you know uh, or have seen Ben, or have talked to Ben. Ben is an aimless wanderer. Uh, we were talking through our elk plans here in Colorado, and he's like, I don't know, what, how much mileage you feel comfortable doing, like, uh, you know, like 5 to 15 miles a day? And I was like, yeah, sure, but I don't trust your mileage. And if, if anybody 
thinks back to our bear hunting uh, podcast, there was a point of contention amongst all of us where Ben was estimating the distances. Uh, I don't know, Colin, how would you describe it best? Um, in the, the one day that was notoriously bad, I think he said three or four times, uh, oh, it's just like a few hundred, more hundred yards. Like, oh, it's just like uh, 500 yards more. And an hour, oh, yeah, hour that's later, we were going up the side of the mountain. Right, an hour later, yeah. it's still oh, it's like a half a mile more. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's notoriously uh, bad at judging distances. <laughs> I think we did like eight mile round trip that day, and it was only supposed to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna run up here to the top of this uh, trail. Yeah, qu- and quick just stop. Check my trail cam, and then we'll just come back down, and I got a couple other places we'll go check yeah. out. Well, it was like half the day there. Quick, quick stop up <laughs> the hill, see what see what's up there, and then uh, you know, be real real quick, get it over and done with. No, it was ended up being like five hours. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. But I can relate to the aimless one. Yeah, uh, not just because of that, but I'm I'm like a what's over the next hill kind of guy for sure. Me too. So, um. Cool. So looking at the bird hunting, that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm, a, I'm excited to uh, get more into that uh, as well, kind of out here in Colorado. Obviously a lack of it in the Florida Keys. But um, <laughs> So at what point did you sort of connect the, the food aspect of it, or has there always been a connection there? Because um, you've been sending in some pretty, some pretty badass recipes here lately. Yeah, so I guess I would say um... – Again, just starting out with Pheasants Forever, um, starting to get a little bit immersed in just this new hunting culture that I hadn't really been exposed to. And the food thing started like to kind of really ramp up in popularity and um, became a big part of a lot of our just strategic ideas and events. Like we really need to tie in food to gain new audiences. Um, and at that point, too, it's like now I'm starting to finally harvest enough food to actually like do stuff with, I guess. You know, like last year I'd say mm-hmm. like, the freezer's literally full versus like those first couple years when we shot like three pheasants and <laughs> a couple ducks. <laughs> um, so actually having a lot more food. But then when I like reflect back to, I think a lot of it is just like also just ingrained in me. I mean, my mom has was always like cooking, whether that was wild game or not. Like we never ate out as kids. She was always cooking, um, very like gardening a little bit and just kind of very like stingy I guess um and so I feel like some of that's come into play as well um just trying to sometimes make the hard decision to not go out to eat and just like use what we have um but it's kind of just started to fuel itself you know like I'm really excited about hunting we have more game in the freezer we should eat it um then you start like experimenting and and trying new recipes and and pretty soon that's like all we eat and it feels like when I do go out or something and have like beef or chicken, it's just weird. <laughs> like I'm so uh, used to pheasant or venison that it's starting to like, yeah, just shift my diet, I guess. It's, it's so, uh, I was just thinking about that the other day. Cause I'm, you know, you travel and move and all these things happen and it's kind of like getting settled in a new place. And we've been eating out a lot more than we, we normally would. And, uh, I made a, I made a uh, venison tamale pie uh, for Meat Eater. I wrote that. That'll be out in a month or so. Um, but I've been here by myself for like four or five days because my, my family's traveling. And so I've just been slowly like eating at this uh, big cast iron cornbread meat pie. And it's, <laughs> uh, 
it's literally phenomenal. And I'm like, oh man, I got to make sure that I'm doing this more because it's, it's the same thing. You go out and eat somewhere. I go out and grab tacos or go grab a burger. And I'm like, it's okay, you know, but it, it definitely is not the great flavor of wild game that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So looking at some of your recipes though, uh, I think probably the one that, that I most recently you've posted is the, venison pizza rolls which is pretty awesome uh that definitely that took me back <laughs> took me back some years to to like primary school that ended up um, being one of our most popular posts of all time i think we got so huh. many comments Did about it? that again like <laughs> just people were going nuts over it saving it we're, we're it gonna have it tomorrow for dinner we got the, the exactly. wraps out defrosting and got the burger defrosting so nice excited yeah, nice job, Kayla. So, yeah, that was that was awesome. It what walk me through how this came to fruition and and sort of like how you put put all these pieces together to end up with this delicious treat. Yeah, so I mean, I think if you've already seen my recipes, like I won't admit to being fancy at all, and in many cases they're not even really like, I guess, showcasing the wild game. It's just like. We're always busy, we're always on the go. I basically just swap things for other dishes that I know, um, but definitely forces you to make them from scratch because um, you gotta insert your own meat. But yeah, I was just in the freezer section um, getting ice cream, because I love ice cream, um, but walked past the pizza rolls and was like, oh man, that brings me back. I don't know when I've last had pizza rolls. Um, and I almost grabbed them and then I was just like, we have a ton of um, again, still kind of getting into the, all this and I was really in, pretty intimidated by like sausage making, but this year, um, we took a bunch of venison and just made, we don't have a smoker, but we just made like a uh, raw bulk sausage. So I did, uh, like 10 pounds of Italian sausage and 10 pounds of, uh, breakfast sausage. So just ground up venison with pork and then put in the, the seasoning. So we have this Italian sausage and I was like, you know what? I feel like I could easily figure this out like it wouldn't be that hard there's not that many ingredients in pizza rolls and sure enough in the freezer aisle i just googled it quick and it i found this super easy recipe for pizza rolls um that was of course with uh pork italian sausage but yeah it was just tomato sauce italian sausage egg roll wrappers and mozzarella cheese so instead of grabbing the pizza roll box i went and got the other things and um, I mean, I figured like it can't really go wrong with those like four ingredients, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, they were delicious, super good. And, um, I was just able to freeze, uh, make a big batch cause it's really tedious. It is really tedious to roll up those egg roll wrappers. Um, so whenever I do stuff with those, I just try to make a bunch of it, um, but put a bunch in the freezer too. So can just pull those out on a busy night. Um, but they are so good. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, man. I love the versatility of egg roll wrappers. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's always astounding what you can do with them. Just from like regular egg rolls to you know these pizza rolls are a perfect example. But you can literally use them for, for whatever. Yeah, uh, I have a. This isn't wild game, but I have a cheat like ravioli recipe where you just use egg roll ooh. wrappers um, to make. I always make like butternut squash ravioli. Um, ooh, that's that sounds good too. But then you don't have to like make ravioli dough and roll it out. You just use. Actually, usually you buy wonton wrappers, which are the same thing, but they're just smaller. Yeah, uh, we we have those. I think at the store here too. I was just noticed them. They sell like a huge pack of them, uh, which I was like, oh wow, I could make a lot of fun things with those. So, um, and the next recipe I was looking at was your fish and chips recipe, which is a it's a very interesting take on 
on fish and chips. It's not as, as fish and chips as people think of it, though. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, that article I just wrote about my experience like trout fishing, I guess. And then I just made... I don't think I included the recipe with it. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. want me to talk about <laughs> the article or... Uh, yeah, let's talk about the article. And then if we feel like talking about the recipe, we'll go into it. But either way. Okay. Yeah. No, I just... Um, Lake trout fishing in the boundary waters with my brother. But, yeah, when I got back, I just basically baked the lake trout and then um, mm-hmm. fried potatoes, uh, which we used to have when I would go on fishing trips to Canada growing up. So nothing fancy there either, um, other than now I really like to pair it with white wine. But, uh, yeah, I kind of did a play on words, I guess, there just with the title because um, – you want to talk about a wanderer my brother is just unreal um i can hardly keep up with him he's actually so i've run a couple marathons and now i feel like he's just putting me to shame because he's training right now for a marathon where you run it with a canoe on your shoulders what <laughs> so it's just like okay well there goes my marathons mean nothing oh <laughs> uh, he's, he's crazy so whenever Whenever I want a dose of, of wilderness or just extreme physical exertion, um, he's my guy, I guess. Uh, but yeah, did a, a Boundary Waters, which I guess if no one's been, um, just this really cool wilderness area in northern Minnesota. Um, actually, mm-hmm. have a, a summer trip there here in a couple weeks. Um, but grew up eating some lake trout on our Canada trips in the summer, and... It's been a long time since I've fished for lake trout in the winter in the Boundary Waters, but I had before, but it'd been too long, and so finally found a weekend to work out with my brother and just met him there, and um, it's like, was we didn't end up camping in there, but a full day ordeal of, like, snowmobiling till you get to, like, the no motor line, um, and then we were supposed to cross-country ski, but the snow was, like, really wet and sticky, so halfway through, someone just, like, took off their skis and was like, yeah, this is way faster, just walking is way faster than skiing. Um, so walked in a couple miles and we just got a miserable day. It was like wet, heavy snow all day. Um, he caught one lake trout. Uh, I didn't catch any. And then the next day I had to head back, um, by like 11 or 12, but we just picked like a close lake near town where we didn't have to do the snowmobiles and hiking and just walked in and it was just like super sunny and calm and nice out. And I was like, I don't even care. It's just nice to not be like freezing cold and have snow pelting me in the face. Um, and then caught a lake trout that morning. So yeah, it was just, I admit I hadn't eaten it in a while, hadn't had that experience in a while. And it's just such a beautiful place and, um, kind of just all came together for a tasty meal, but I just kind of put a pun on words there with like a chip on my shoulder. Cause I don't know. Oh, got it. Yeah. People I work with were just like, you went through all that for one lake trout. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. It just that type of stuff just fuels me through the week. Like if I can do this stuff, I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the picture, uh, the headline image, and it looks like I'm guessing that's probably uh, your. Is it your brother there that you're walking behind in the in the picture? And it's just like a big snowy. Yeah. Looks like you could tell it's just cold and damp and oh yeah, snow sticking to everything. Yeah, Ooh. like your mittens. I had like big mittens on, and they were just like drenched by the end of the day like just stop there's no point even having them on because it's just a wet heavy snow all day it's not seem enjoyable Mm -hmm. at all (laughs) the things we do for to uh enjoy (laughs) the great outdoors right (laughs) um awesome uh the your other article that i wanted to chat about and uh i think this is uh cory brought up 
uh, some points, but uh, how to eat uh, tag soup, which I think is very interesting because people, uh, there's a lot of uh, animosity in the world with tag soup. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know, Corey, you had a, a conversation starter surrounding that, didn't you? Yeah, because you see a lot of things on social media where um, people don't take you seriously unless you harvest an animal, you know, turkey, deer, elk, whatever. Like, oh, you're not a real hunter unless you kill this or do that or whatever. But but I think that creates monsters, you know, that do it for the gram. So you see those people running around with a fan on their head trying to, to get a turkey, but, you know, potentially can get shot in the face in the process. So in that article, you talked about how you... You know, you're almost physically ill when when you're not successful, and I, I feel I feel the same way. Like you scrolling through Facebook, and you know it's after after the first day of rifle season, you see, oh, he got a buck, oh, he got a nice buck, and like, and, and when I don't get anything, I was like, okay, I got to get off social media and get away from that, and you know, just do my own thing. But yeah, I think that's, I think. Yeah, you had a lot of uh, good things to say in that in that piece. Yeah, I have to imagine that like everyone deals with that um, for sure. And yeah, I just um, went into turkey season super excited. It would have only been my third turkey season, um, but we had a really good year the year before. Filled two tags, still had weeks left, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my tag, get an over the counter tag, offer to help some other people out just because I love being out there, and then. It was just a super frustrating season and not, I mean, a few things like uh, we had some wildfires close some areas that we usually hunt and I had to work uh, a day or two in there. Um, so a few like on weekends, I guess, a few, of course, I also had to work during the week. A few other just like frustrating things, but yeah, not for, not for lack of effort and um, yeah, you just, you get on social media and you get down on yourself and I, I guess I know that my reason being out there is not to fill a tag and um I felt myself, I guess, just like getting caught up in that. And I don't know, it's almost like I knew early on I wasn't going to get one, even though there were still weeks left. And it's just like I let that that negative attitude get to me, I guess. And um, I just want to, I'd like towards the end, I just got off and, and knew I just wanted to be out there because I wanted to be out there, even if it wasn't going to end well. And yeah, something I guess I'm still trying to work on is just. Um, I know I'm not, I'm doing it for the right reasons. It's just like not trying not to get caught up in, um, the pressure or or any expectations to, to do anything. It's one of those things too, is it's hard because you, you never know what people go through and you never know other people's situations whenever they post on social media. And it's that, I think that spans, it spans the internet in, you know, insert whatever situation, Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be, but. Uh, I think speaking to our community in the hunting and fishing world, like uh, a lot of the times, the majority of things you see are just people's successes and um, it, it puts a challenging perspective of it. You know, I'm, I'm like the same, I'm the same, you know, going through, it's like, Oh man, like I, uh, like when I was living in Florida, uh, it was, you know, it's four or five hours to get up to a place to hunt. So you really have to commit. And here I am like, you know, scrolling through Instagram or looking on Facebook and I just see people like, bam, bam, bam. And I was just like, man, I really wish, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I wish I had that. Or maybe that's, I'm paraphrasing for myself, but, uh, uh, just thinking like, 
it, it, it's definitely one of those things. And it's interesting, like even as an adult, how that thought crosses, uh, crosses my mind of just like, not, not a jealousy or, or disdain or, or hate or, you know, anything like that. It's just like, it, it'd be cool if I, you know, I had a little, you know, a turkey or a deer <laughs> yeah. post on social media and talk with all my buddies about, but, uh, no, and I, th- I think you go through and you start looking at at hunters and anglers uh, abroad and and around, and as people post different things, you can kind of see the the visibility of different stages in their life and kind of what they're doing in the hunting world. And I don't know, start to look. I personally start to look for for happiness and and comfort in in other areas. You know, in our spring bear trip where. I didn't necessarily feel the tag, but I definitely participated in all aspects of the hunt. Uh, so much so that I came away with this, like, look, I'm not going home with a bear trip. Like I invested a lot of time and money and effort into this trip. But at the end of the day, like the trip was phenomenal. And, you know, I didn't have a picture uh, to post with, with the bear on, uh, you know, it was my own bear on social media, but uh, whatever. Yeah. Just cause you go out so. hunting and don't, get anything doesn't mean you're not a hunter you still did it you know exactly like you're only a hunter once you're successful i would say that statistically as you look uh, across the the board of uh if you go into any hunting reports for any state you're very rarely ever going to find a 100 percent success rate in any area probably in the country i think the only times i've seen 100 percent are actually for um the really difficult tags to draw so like oregon mountain goat and uh mm-hmm. bighorn sheep tags are really hard to draw they take like 20 years and uh but there might be like three tags for one area and sometimes those will be 100 percent. but that's because everybody gets a guide like if you get it and it's a, yeah. it's a once in a lifetime tag so like you get that you're going to spend the money to get get a guide and there's yep. the only time i think pennsylvania like elk at least the the bull are are nearly a hundred percent, but but I think hunting follows that eighty twenty rule. Twenty percent of the hunters kill eighty percent of the harvests. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So yeah, I'll be looking for a redemption with my fall turkey tag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was it was a really good spring and just finally got a chance to just reflect back on on all the cool moments and and like i ended that piece i'm i'm fortunate that my husband filled both his tags while i wasn't there which sucks because i wasn't there for it but uh so we did have some turkey in the freezer but that's awesome which uh is that what you used for the wild turkey salad yes yep uh so yeah basically just um chicken salad essentially so like craisins almonds um mayonnaise green onions um, I do that a lot with pheasant too, um, but nice on the go lunches instead of like lunch meat or whatever for, for the boat or, or for turkey hunting after you already got one turkey. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So do you, how do you rank, uh, pheasant and turkey? Which one, which one? Oh, turkey for you... sure. Turkey is probably my favorite wild game meat and I'm always just blown away. I've heard so many people say they don't like it and I don't understand it's i like it better than like store-bought turkey and it's i think it's probably my favorite wild game meat but i don't know what people uh, feel yeah. are <laughs> i'm one of those people i'm not a big fan really of turkey. i don't yeah. understand like i i <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy 
You just don't know it's how okay. to cook, Justin. <laughs> uh, you know, it is what it is. What is it like the flavor or the texture or what? Uh, I don't know. It's it's really dry. <laughs> Thanks, but... Corey. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I just I don't know. Maybe I haven't shot a lot of turkey to enjoy it enough. I don't know. It's just not. I don't know. I ate I ate turkey tag soup last year, and I think it just made me very frustrated. And yeah. <laughs> well, if you think turkey's dry, then I wouldn't even try pheasant. <laughs> I yeah, I don't mind pheasant. Um, I, I think I don't know. I owe I owe it to myself to try more turkey. Mm-hmm. I would say that. Does Colorado have a turkey season? No. Yep, they do. They have a fall and a spring. Uh, actually, in my scouting um, of places for antelope, I found uh, two places I can hunt turkey at. Uh, so I'll plan on doing that uh, coming up. It's actually... What, what's the species? Um, good question. It's got to be Rio Grande out there, isn't it? Mm, I don't think so. I think it depends on where you're at in the state. Go ahead, Corey, with your thought. I'll, I'll, I'll answer this question as I look it up. Well, Kayla has mentioned what was in her freezer on a couple different occasions. She said, you said you had a full freezer. I just want to know what all is included in that. So, yeah, both of us filled our rifle deer tags anyways last year. So, um, well, now that's probably more than halfway gone. But um, So deer, uh, lots of... Well, I think we've eaten a fair amount of pheasants too, but there was a lot of pheasant in there. Um, some ducks and Canada geese and snow geese. Um, we had uh, my cousin, so nonprofits can like apply for to draw like a big game tag in North Dakota to then raffle off. Um, and when I was working for Pheasants Forever, we drew an antelope tag um, and then raffled it off. And my cousin that I'm actually going elk hunting with won the raffle, um, which was cool. So, because it's. I still haven't hunted antelope at all, but not in North Dakota either, because it takes like five to eight years or more, depending which unit you're applying in. Um, oh, wow. So pretty cool that she got to, she lives in Minnesota and she got to come here and hunt them before me. Um, but she was successful, um, so she gave us half of that. Um, so we have a little bit of that left. We've been kind of using it sparingly. Um, lots of, now catfish, but lots of fish, walleye, northern pike. Um, Trying to think what other... Well, there's turkey in there. Um, still from my husband's spring turkey. Anything else? Uh, do, the doves are gone. There were doves. And my husband actually leaves tomorrow to go to Alaska caribou hunting. So hopefully... Ooh, cool. Oh, nice. You don't get to go with yeah. them? And I told them to just tag out early and then go halibut fishing. So... Yeah. <laughs> That's the plan. So what uh what's on the menu next? What are you cooking up next? Do you think? Um, I was thinking actually, was this on? Okay, so I I can't remember if this is harvesting nature or hunt to eat, but I saw like a venison euro recipe. Um, I want to say it was harvesting nature though, but um, I've been trying meaning to make euros for a while, but this one, um, the recipe I was looking at was like using ground meat, pressing it into a pan, and then baking it so almost like a thin meatloaf, and then frying the strips. But this recipe was just using ground meat, so I was going to give that a go. Um, I'm not sure. I don't see it on ours. Must be... Maybe it was I feel like I just saw it. I'm trying to think. Well, it's not my recipe, but yeah, I've been 
That's all right, though. That's good. Well, sweet. Um, Well, so unfortunately we are out of time. So this is the point in the show where we all kind of give a round of our our last thoughts. And and since you're the the guest today, Kayla, I'll open it up to you. Do you have any last thoughts or alibis or anything you want to leave us, the listeners, with? You know, nothing too crazy. Thanks for having me on. Um, I get into this a little bit in the in the latest article that I just wrote, but um, and for sure I'm I'm still working on this. Like, definitely not excluding myself from this. But I think just um, the whole catfishing thing just kind of opened my eyes to like all the um, just opinions and norms that are out there. And I feel like as hunters and anglers, we're so quick to judge everybody else. Like just about every little thing and um like my example was catfishing and just kind of sticking your nose up at it and if it's not a walleye here nobody cares um but i think we could all just be more open-minded and and accept what our kind of hunting ethos is and maybe what someone else's is and um we're all we, we should all be on the same team for just like wildlife conservation continuing our hunting and fishing heritage and um it's okay if people kind of have different desires that they want out of their experience and um we don't need to constantly like judge everyone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. Support that 100%. Um, all right, Colin, last thought. Uh, it's a great conversation, but to echo what Kayla just said at the very end, I mean, we're harvesting nature, so we're harvesting everything. It's not, we're not elk hunters, supreme we're not like ultimate deer hunters you know we're for everything so whether you're picking berries on a hike or you're harvesting a big muley or something like that you know it, it's everything involved so as a fellow adult onset hunter i think it's a, a good lesson to keep in mind so when you're scrolling through instagram and you see all these people with these giant elks and giant deer and everything just keep that in mind yeah Corey, last thought just want to say thank you to Kayla for coming on and uh, enjoyed talking to you and glad you're a part of Harvest in Nature. And I'm looking forward to reading more of your stuff. And yeah, good luck this hunting season. Thanks. So I will say, uh, first off, it's it's Merriam's, uh, mm-hmm. Merriam's okay. and Rio Grande. So Merriam's up in the mountains and, and Rio Grande's more in the eastern. So I'll probably encounter some Rios. That was half right. Uh, which is cool. Huh? I was half right. Yeah, halfway. Um, well, Kayla, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, I I've loved all your articles I've read. Um, all the recipes too. It's really great. Uh, so please keep up the great work, and uh, I think you're a great ambassador for for our community. And and I appreciate your contributions to Harvest in Nature and all those awesome things that you've been doing. Um, you know, I would encourage everybody to go take a take a peek at your Instagram page. What's your uh, What's the best way for people to connect with you if they have questions? Or yeah, probably Instagram. I feel like that's my favorite social media handle, and I put a lot more hunting stuff on there um, than my Facebook. But it's at uh, Kayla Rose Ruby. Those are my middle names, but um, Kayla is with a C, so C A Y L A R O S E R U B Y. Awesome. And as always, you can read her uh, her recipes or adventures articles every month over at Harvest of Nature. So you can go, uh, if you find one of her articles on there, like the pizza, the 
Pizza Rolls. You can click there and click her profile, and it shows all the articles that she's written, so you can read through those. Great reads. Um, but, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, I do want to, as we get out of here, hit one last thing. So since pronghorn season is just right around the corner, uh, make sure you go over to Harvest Nature, our website in the shop, and you check out our pronghorn fast food T-shirt. Uh, I have one. I wear it all the time. It's a... Uh, it's the an antelope head uh, in the shape of a, a very prominent uh, fast food establishment, uh, but uh, saying that antelope, antelope is the only fast food I eat. Uh, so that's my personal little tribute from uh, our antelope hunt last year in Wyoming. So um, for those that have seen the shirt, it's pretty cool. If not, go check it out. Uh, get yourself one. Um, and thanks everybody else for listening and uh as always show notes are listed down below so all the links to the recipes and articles and all the crazy things we talked about today are there and then uh after you've checked out kayla's social media page make sure you're following us on harvesting nature uh all the different platforms and then whatever podcast platform you listen to punch that five star button leave us a review tell us what we're wrong or you know tell us what we're doing right thanks everybody and have a good night